<coughs> Thank you. You all stand up and I'm sitting down. <laughs> you know, the story's told of three men, Mark, George, Robert, who over a period of time become the best of friends. And as a result, they decided they were going to go ahead and rent a motorhome and take a long trip. Uh, problem was, the trip wasn't as long as they thought because no sooner than they were gone, maybe 10 or 15 miles on the freeway, they got just head on by a tractor trailer and every one of them were killed. And so the six of them were all before St. Peter and Mark stepped forward and introduced himself and Peter said, well, it's great to meet you. Uh, let me check the book of life. I'll get back to you. Well, Peter comes back with a frown on his face and he said, you know, I'm really sorry, but I can't let you into heaven. He goes, uh, all you thought about during your life was money, finances, money, money, money. In fact, you didn't even marry until you found a girl named Penny. <laughs> he said, so next, next guy steps up, George steps up, goes through the same process. Peter comes back again. And again, with a frown on his face, he says, I'm sorry, I can't let you into heaven. All you thought about during your life was drinking, getting drunk, drinking, drinking, drinking. He goes, you didn't even marry until you found a girl named Sherry. <laughs> now, meanwhile, Robert's listening to all this, and he's watching what's going on. He leaned over his wife, and he says, quick, Fanny, let's get out of here. <laughs> now, I realize that some of you are thinking, what in the world does that have to do with thinking like a genuine servant. And uh, I'm glad you asked. You know, the, the, the book of Romans is, uh, teaches, clearly teaches that according to God's standard and measurement, all of mankind is declared guilty before God. Regardless of our self-perception, you know, most of us go around thinking that we're pretty good people. I'm a good person. I'm better than most that I know. I try hard to do the right thing. Uh, God says, no, you know, God measures mankind against the perfection of God. Therefore, all have sinned, and none of us are righteous. Each one of us has gone astray. And since that's the case, it becomes readily apparent that all of us indeed fall short of the glory of God. And the point of all of this is, is that that's extremely bad news. And if it were not for the next part, it would be impossible to think like a genuine servant. And that is the good news is found in Romans 1.16, which in fact, you know, if you look at every week in our bulletin, it's our mission statement. Romans 1.16 tells us, uh, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You know, I've had a lot of people ask me, and, and, and it's important that we discuss this to some degree, and that is that, you know, I've been asked, well, what's gonna happen uh, if God chooses to take you home? What's gonna happen to our church? Where do we go from here? And, you know, and the answer is very clear. We continue to fulfill our mission statement. You know, the bottom line is I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Our responsibility as God's people is to continue to go into the world and to preach the gospel to continue to make sure that people recognize and realize that, you know what, there are none of us who are righteous, that, that all of us fall short of the glory of God. And each one of us needs to repent 
and confess our sins before God. Each one of us needs to recognize and understand that you know, we have forgiveness in Christ if we believe. And so when the question arises, you know, I kind of smile and say, well, we continue to do what God has called us to do. And that is that each one of us have been given the privilege to know the mysteries of God and to share those mysteries of the knowledge of God with those around us. So I have no doubt that uh, we will continue as a church to do what God has called us to do. And we walk by faith and not by sight. And it's important that we recognize that as well. Because even as was sung today, we realize that, you know what, God can do anything that he wants to do. You know, and we've got a God that when nobody else knows what to do, that's when he does his finest work. And so we don't, you know, we don't give up hope. We don't lose hope. In fact, our hope is in him. And, and we continue to trust in him. So my encouragement to all of us is that we continue to do what it is that God has called us to do, which is to reach men and women with the gospel, that we continue to uh, not be ashamed of the gospel, for it's the gospel that saves those who believe. And uh, so we keep on keeping on. Uh, we're steadfast and immovable. Uh, we continue to be pigs for Jesus. Uh, you know, all of those things. And realize that, you know what, God's got a plan. You know, God's had a plan before you know, the foundation of the world for, for our church. And so Kindred Community Church will continue to go on as we continue to trust in the Lord and walk by faith and not by sight. And so I want to encourage those who have any apprehensions whatsoever that where there's no need for apprehension for God knows what he's doing. And so we stay focused on him. We fix our eyes on Jesus and uh, we get excited about what the word of God has to say. And in order to think like a genuine servant, in order to think like Jesus, we must know him personally. And the question is, how do we get to know him? And that's what we're going to focus on today. And that is in Romans chapter 12. If you've got your Bibles with you, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we read in this, and I, and I would hope that this is what we can add to our memory verse, uh, adding it to Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, to, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I like the sitting down. <laughs> but Romans chapter 12, if you've got your Bibles, let's take a look at that, where Paul urges uh, the Romans at this particular time. He, he says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He says, and don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. From memory, I, I would, would challenge you uh, to take these two verses and memorize these and add them to those uh, verses that you're learning as you go along and memorizing as you go along. Because uh, as we look at this, you'll notice that there are going to be several things that are very simple but yet they're very, very profound in, in their teaching. And if you've got the, over, um, the um, outline in front of you, we'll take a look at uh, basically four things that relate to this. You know, having concluded, and, and you gotta remember as we look at this and, we, and we, we jump to Romans chapter 12, there's been 11 chapters of profound teaching uh, that relate to how God has uh, given believers uh, 
basically everything that we need uh, to be more like Jesus, to think more like a genuine servant. And having concluded these 11 chapters, he gets to this turning point in Romans chapter 12 where we start to turn the corner and we start to look at some of the things that he has to say. In order to better understand our passage, I'm gonna share just a couple of things with you. And that is this, just some observations. You know, countless thousands of people today, including many, many genuine Christians, uh, flock to different churches and seminars and conferences in search of personal benefits. You know, practical, emotional, uh, spiritual, that they hope to receive. <clears throat> we go to all these different things in order to do just the opposite of what the Apostle Paul tells us to do in Romans chapter 12. We go to these places to find more things that benefit us. Uh, and the, but the key to productive and satisfying Christian life isn't in, in getting more, but in giving everything that we have to the Lord. And yet we're told, basically, to go out and find what's, what's best for us. What can I get out of it? Uh, what am I going to get out of this? How much will I benefit from this? Is this going to be good for me? And what God is saying is, he says, Chuck, you know what? In order to have a satisfying Christian life, you have to give everything you have back to me. You got to give it all to me. And if we would just do that, then we would become satisfied in our walk with the Lord. Jesus said there is a time coming where true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be worshipers. God gave himself for us in order that we might give ourselves to him. Paul defines Christians as those who worship in the spirit of God and glory and in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. And so we look at giving ourselves 100% you know, to, to the Lord, to give ourselves as a sacrifice. Our supreme calling is to serve God with all we are. And, and the question that we have to ask ourselves is, you know, do we really do that? Do we serve him with everything that we have? You know, true worship includes many things besides the obvious ones of prayer and praise and, and thanksgiving. It includes serving God by serving others in his name, especially fellow believers, as we'll take a look as we go through this passage. Uh, doing good and sharing for such sacrifices God has pleased, according to Hebrews 13 and also Philippians 4. But above all else, our supreme act of worship is to offer ourselves wholly and continually as sacrifices to God. In fact, the, uh, if, you, if you recall, the, uh, as we look at the, the book of Romans here, the, the Romans were basically, you know, they were not satisfied until they were giving themselves 100%. And so we're going to take a look at these four elements of presenting ourselves to God as living and holy and acceptable sacrifices. And basically, they're offering God our souls, our bodies, our minds, and our wills. And while recognizing that these four uh, overlap, we'll still see that they can provide a useful outline as we go through this particular text. So how can we learn to think like a genuine servant? And it starts with, number one, our souls have already been given to God. Notice in, in Romans chapter 12, it says, I urge you therefore, brethren, and he stops and, and on a breakdown and just do a little simple word study. But he says, I urge you. And the word urge has to do with calling alongside in order to help or to give aid. 
It later came up to connote um, exhortation, admonition, encouragement. Jesus used this word of the Holy Spirit would come one day and he would be an encouragement or a paraclete. Uh, he urges uh, the Holy Spirit uh, to come alongside God's people, to build us up, to encourage us, uh, to give us everything that we need in order to be able to serve God uh, faithfully. And so Paul speaking as a human helper or counselor to Christians in Rome, he's saying, I urge you, and, 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 it's, and it's a command that's a loving command, and, it's, and he's saying, you know what, I'm begging you to, to, uh, to do this. I'm begging you, and he, and he goes on to say the word brethren, which means one who has come to faith in Christ. He's saying, I'm begging you as one who has come to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now the question is, have you come to faith in Christ? Have you, repent, have you recognized your sinfulness? You know, it's the same question. Have you recognized your sinfulness? Have you recognized you're not as good as you think you are? Have you recognized that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? Have you recognized none are righteous, no, not one, including you and me? Have you come to that point where you go, you know what, I'm guilty before God. And because I'm guilty before God, I need to seek God's forgiveness. Therefore, I will repent, which is turn from this attitude I have, and I'll go to God and seek his forgiveness. Because until I recognize the fact that I'm guilty before God, I have no, no reason to go to him. If I have an, an understanding that I've offended somebody, I have no reason to go to them and seek their forgiveness. But once I understand that, then I can go and say, you know what, my bad, I know that what I did was wrong, and so I ask your forgiveness, will you forgive me? And, and that's what, uh, you know, where we're talking about a person who is in Christ, or the brethren, are those who have come to recognize their guilt, have sought God's forgiveness, have received God's forgiveness, and his mercy, and have sought him out, and God says, hey, you're forgiven. And you become a child of God to those who believe in his name, according to John 1:12. And so we become children of God to those who believe in his name. Ask yourself the question, is that true of your life? The person who has not come to recognize their sin, that has not repented for their sin, that has not been born again, can never have the mind of Christ and can never think like a genuine servant. And so we have to first give of ourselves the soul, the most intimate part of our being. Only the redeemed can present God a living sacrifice because only the redeemed have spiritual life. Only the believer, true believers are priests who can come to God with an offering. And our offering is ourselves. And so when we look at this, you know, the soul is the, the inner uh, invisible part of man that is the very essence of our being. And so when we look at this passage and he talks about how he's urging the brethren, and he goes on and talks about therefore. He says, I urge you therefore. You know, and the question that you ask of yourself when you're reading through scripture is, you know, what's it there for? And it always ties together the thought that preceded it. And so the immediate thought is uh, verses 33 and 30 through 36 of Romans 11. Uh, the, the big picture is Romans uh, chapter one through Romans chapter 11. 
But in Romans 11, look at verse 33. The immediate thought is, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so he ties this back in and he talks about therefore, the full wonder of God's gracious omnipotence is wholly bound. It's beyond human understanding. And so when we look at this, you know, we're told that the soul has been given to God. First, he urges us uh, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so as we go through this, we see that scripture determines that, hey, you know what? In order to be right with God, first you have to seek his forgiveness. Then we move on to the fact that our bodies must be given to God. Notice several things about the fact that our bodies are to be given to God. And uh, which, you know, when we look at this, what's involved in complete dedication to God? It says, after it's implied that believers have given their souls to God through faith in Christ, they're specifically called to present their bodies to him as a living and holy sacrifice. You know, again, the word present has to do with um, bringing an offering before God. And so what he's saying is that, you know, you and I are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, to present means to offer a sacrifice. The word present in, in this verse uh, means to present once and for all. It's to make a decision in our lives where it's like, you know what, once and for all, I'm going to present myself to God once and for all, period, done. I'm not gonna play this game over and over and over again that most people do, and that is that, you know what, well this week I'm gonna get serious with God, and I'm gonna present myself to him, I'm gonna you know, be an off, you know, present myself as an offering, I'm gonna do the right thing this week, I'm gonna live to please God. No, you know what, the Bible says that, hey, you know what, once and for all, get that straightened out with God. Stop playing the game that we all play. Once and for all, say that's it. Today, whatever today's date is, this day, I'm gonna present once and for all this body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. To present our bodies, to make such a commitment in our life that, you know what, people will see through our lives our commitment to Christ. See, because our souls belong to God through salvation, he already has the inner man. But he also wants the outer man. He wants our bodies. And you, and you say, well, Chuck, why is that so important? Well, the reason it's so important is, though redeemed, the body is still the center of sinful desires, emotions, depression, you know, spiritual doubts. Paul gives insight into the sobering reality when he says, I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I've preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. And that's 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He's saying, you know what? In order for people around us to recognize that, you know, that, that God exists, that we need to seek his forgiveness, he's saying that those around us need to see a difference in how we live. Because they can't see our <clears throat> inner man. They can't see that redeemed person 
They can't tell that we're now a part of the body of Christ. They would never know that we were adopted into God's family, that we were born again. See, no one would know that unless they see that by how we live. And that's why it's so important to present our bodies so that people will see how we conduct our, our lives, our behavior. You know, what do we do? What do we say? How do we act? And it's important that people see that there's a difference between how Christians live and how others live. You know, if we speak for him, it's through our mouths. You know, how do we talk to one another? What are the things that we say? You know, what comes out of our mouth? You know, James warns that, you know what? Well, can salt water and, and, and fresh water come out of the same fountain? It's like, how can you, you know, how can, how can that be? How can you say the things that you said and still claim to be a believer? What are the things that come out of your mouth? You know, what are the things that, that, that we listen to? You know, what are those things that are going on that you know, we're listening to. Uh, if we read his word, it must be with our eyes or our hands for those who are blind. You know, what is it that we're reading? What is it that we're hearing? If we go to do his work, we gotta use the feet that God has given us. And if we go to help others in his name, <clears throat> we've gotta use the hands that, that he's given us. You know, and if we think for him, it must be with our minds, which now reside in these bodies. And so as we look at presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, we need to recognize that we need to, he goes on in Romans chapter six to say, stop presenting your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves as instruments of righteousness so that you can accomplish the things that God wants you to accomplish. And so ask yourself the tough question, what is it that I do? on a daily basis with this body? Is it pleasing to God? Is where I go pleasing to God? Is what I listen to pleasing to God? Is what I uh, say, what comes out of my mouth, is it pleasing to God? Are the things that I hear pleasing to God? You know, we have to ask ourselves some tough questions. And, and, and the implication is, he says, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin. He assumes that we will continue to do that. He says, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Under God's control, our redeemed bodies can and should become instruments of righteousness. So ask yourself, as you think about this, are we instruments of righteousness or unrighteousness? There's a contrast. Uh, in our minds, do we think for God good things or evil things? With our mouth, do we praise God and others? Do we build them up or do we curse God? Do we lie? Do we gossip? Do we slander? Do we tear down? Do we tell dirty jokes and stories? Or do unwholesome words come out of our mouth? That's a contrast. With our hands, do we work hard? Or do we, do, do we work hard to provide for our family? Or do we cheat? Uh, do we assault others? Uh, do we embrace them? Or do we abuse them? 
You know, we stop and think about our feet. Are our feet beautiful? You know, I can never get out of my mind the picture of beautiful feet in Romans chapter 10, where it says how beautiful are the feet of those who deliver the gospel. And the question is, do we run to evil or do we run from evil? Do we present ourselves as instruments of unrighteousness or instruments of righteousness? Do we go where we shouldn't go or do we go where God wants us to go? See, all of those things are important because our bodies are visible to the world and should reflect our dedication to the Lord. You know, we need to recognize and understand that, you know, people are watching our lives. There's a friend that shared after becoming a Christian, you know, he used to continue to go to a party with his friends. And his friend said, you know, we were worried about you becoming a Christian because you, you were so, you know, you were still cool. You know, you could go to church on Sunday and still drink and smoke with us and, and do all the things that we do uh, on, a, you know, on a regular basis, and it didn't bother you. And he was so convicted about it, you know, 20 years later, he was telling that story. It's like, yeah, man, you know, you're pretty cool. You could be a Christian and yet still do the things that we used to do. And he was like, whoa, man, what kind of message am I sending to the people around me? You know, what kind of message do we send those around us when they look at our life and say, hmm, you know what? It's not bad to be a Christian if it means that you can continue to live any way you want to live. And so it conflicts with the word of God. So we need to look at that and realize that, you know, he says that we're to be a living and holy sacrifice. You know, living sacrifice in the Bible help us to understand, you know, you think about the first one that, that is a, given to us in scripture is Isaac, a living sacrifice. You know, he went up with Abraham and yet he was a living sacrifice. And we think about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Isaac willingly put himself on the altar and he would have died in obedience to God's will. But the Lord sent a ram to take his place. Isaac died just the same as he died to self and willingly yielded himself to the will of God. When he got to that altar, all, Isaac was a living sacrifice to the glory of God. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is a perfect illustration of a living sacrifice because he actually died as a sacrifice in obedience to the Father's will, but he rose again and today he's in heaven as a living sacrifice. And so how does this apply to believers? Well, sacrifice of dead animals are no longer acceptable to God because the Lamb of God was sacrificed in our place. You know, the redeemed of the Lord are now to offer themselves, to offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice. And so the living sacrifice we're to offer to the Lord who died for us is the willingness to surrender to him. Are you willing to surrender all your hopes and all your dreams and all your plans and everything that's precious to you and all that's, in, that's humanly important to us are you willing to sacrifice all of those things for the will of God? Are you willing to put him first? Or do you still struggle with, you know what, but God, my will be done and not yours. See, for the last couple of years, you know, as we've rode the cancer coaster, you know, we've, we've continued to struggle with how to pray. You know, Lord, accepting God's will, uh, expecting miracles, uh, we look forward to whatever you're going to do. Uh, we pray for healing. 
but at the same time, we also pray that we'll accept your will in our life. And it's a difficult thing as we continue to struggle with, you know, God, what is your will? And we don't know yet. And so that's why when people come and say, well, what are we going to do? Well, you know what we're going to do is we're going to walk by faith and not by sight. We're going to live one moment at a time, trusting that God knows what he's doing. And we're going to continue to do that because that's what the Bible tells us to do. And so we can, you know, with confidence in the Lord and at peace in our own hearts, we can walk forward and know that, you know what, God's got a plan. And we're excited about his plan. And you know what? And until the day he calls me home, uh, if he decides to do that, then I'll continue to serve him and continue to offer my body as a, body as a living sacrifice and continue to present it before him as a, a living and holy sacrifice uh, and, and continue to do what God has called me to do uh, until it becomes very clear what his will is. And so we continue to trust him because we know that everything that God does is good. Every good thing comes from above. And so we know that we can trust him. Spiritual is a term from which we, we get the word logic or logical. You know, our offerings to God are certainly to be spiritual, but that's what Paul's speaking about at this point. He's not speaking about that, I'm sorry. It's to be translated reasonable. The apostle Paul is saying that, here's a list of all of these things. A service of worship translate the single Greek word, which refers to service of any kind. And so he's saying that, you know, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So what else is involved in total dedication to God? And as we look at this, we see that our mind, the third thing is that our mind must be given to him. As we look at not being conformed to this world, notice what he has to say. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. And don't be conformed to this world. It's in the mind that our new nature, which wants to please God, battles with our old humanness that wants to go on you know, pleasing ourselves. Notice the battle takes place. He says, to be conformed. Not to allow yourselves to be conformed. Uh, J.B. Phillips translates his phrase this way. He says, and don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. He's saying, don't let the world we live in tell you how to live. How many of us do that? How many of us do that? The world around us tells us, this is how you're going to live. And the Bible says, no, this is how you're going to live. And we got this battle that takes place. No, wait, but this is how I'm being told to live. And yet the Bible says this, but the world says that. And it's like, okay, well, you got a choice to make. How are you going to live? Are you going to live to please God? Or are you going to live to please yourself? See, we're being commanded and don't be conformed to this world. In other words, as Christians, we're hypocrites when we take an outward form that doesn't line up with who we are in Christ. We'll, we'll take a look a little bit more at that. But he's saying that, you know what, don't let this world, which is rendered um, age, referring to the present sinful age or this world system, don't let this world system tell you how to think. And I think we'll be surprised at how many times we're told how to think 
and not really think about it. For example, we're told to believe in evolution. The world system says, no, you need to believe in evolution rather than creationism. No, God didn't create the universe. It all just happened. And we're told to believe that. And we're to be, you know, and we're not to be conformed to this world. Well, what is that telling us? Don't buy into what you're being told, that somehow, you know, everything just happened and everything around us just occurred. There's no way. The evidence doesn't exist. You know, we're being told that all faiths uh, are good and all roads lead to heaven. But the Bible says there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Not all roads lead to heaven. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except by me. So he's saying that not all roads lead to heaven, but we're being told that. We're being told to believe that. We're being told to believe that, you know what, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in, how you be- in, in what you believe. We're being told that women should have a right to choose, and I believe that a woman should have a right to choose, but the, the, the choice should be made you know, before a, a person becomes pregnant and not after. The choice is whether you're gonna have sex outside of marriage or not. That's when the choice is made. You know, I believe that we should have a right to choose, but that choice is made a lot sooner than most of us think. You know, we've got a problem with, with racism in our country, and we're being told to believe that racism is okay. Uh, and uh, you know what's been great? Through my illness, I had uh, three, three good friends who were on our Rams Bible study that came to surprise me and visit with me about a month ago. And uh, they all happened to be black, and uh, they came to, to the hospital, and you know, I had a great time visiting with them. And one of them uh, has become a pastor since our time together. And he gave me a, a, something that he wanted to share with me that I thought we would appreciate. And he says that, uh, and this is, this is what he gave me to share. And he said, when I was born, I was black. When I grew up, I was black. When I was sick, I'm black. It says, when I go out in the sun, I'm black. When I go out in the cold, I'm black. When I die, I'm black. He said, but you white folk, when you're born, you're pink. <laughs> he says, when you grow up, you're white. When you get sick, you turn green. When you go out in the sun, you get red. When you go out in the cold, you're blue. When you die, you turn purple. He said, and you have the nerve to call me colored. <laughs> I like it. Makes a good point there. So, you know, we're being told to believe certain things. You know, we're, we're told to believe in consensual sex. That, you know, as long as you love each other and you do it, you know, from a protected standpoint, that that's okay. You know, as long as no one gets hurt. You know, we're told to accept divorce. You know, it's readily accepted. And, and the word of God says, you know, I hate divorce. And God sees the consequences of divorce. And he sees the heartache and the heartbreak that comes along with broken families. And so we're being told to believe these things when God says, you know what? No, don't. You know, we're being told to drink responsibly. You know, and, and yet at the same time, God's word says, you know what? You know, is there any wisdom in that? 
you know, it's dissipation. It's, it's, a, it's a waste of time. It's useless. It doesn't accomplish anything. You know, it's like, I, I always wonder when I hear Christians get excited about, oh, you know what, well, so-and-so, I'm turning 21. So what? I mean, think about it. As, as a believer, as a Christian, you're turning 21. So what? So what, what, are, you, what are you implying? Well, the implication here is that, hey, I'm turning 21, and so now I can go what? I can go drink. Well, but you know what? Is that really God's will? Is that presenting your bodies as an instrument of righteousness or unrighteousness? I mean, it doesn't matter how old you're turning. I mean, it's, it, it, it doesn't really make any difference. Because if you're going to do what's right before God, who cares? It's like I go to Vegas. Well, so what? Is that really the right thing to do? Is that the message that you want to send? So we've got to ask ourselves a, a lot of questions. You know, how about gambling? What message does that set, uh, send? Or how about, you know, being in debt or bankruptcy to ex escape our obligations? You know, I read in the newspaper how many people are rushing out to file for bankruptcy now be before the law changes in October so that, you know, it can take advantage of these bankruptcy laws. And you go, well, wait a minute. Is that pleasing to God? Because, you know, aren't we supposed to honor our obligations? But we're being conformed to this world and our materialism and, and entertainment and on and on. The world, you know, shouts to us how to think and, and how to be squeezed into this world's mold, being conformed to this world. You know, give God our minds. And the Bible says how to do so. How do we renew our minds? It says, but, I like that. But instead of being like everybody else, instead of thinking like everybody else, but be transformed. Notice that. The word transform is commanded. Be transformed. It's a passive imperative. Positively, we're commanded to allow ourselves to be changed outwardly into conformity to our redeemed inner natures. He's saying, you know what? Be transformed. Don't be like everybody else, but allow God to take your life and make it into what God wants it to be. How many of us are struggling with that? Fighting God every aspect of the way. Every way that we turn, God's saying, I want to do this in your life, and we're like, no. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that at all. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how's our mind renewed? Through the Word of God. That's the only way, through the Word of God. You know, from, from, from a personal standpoint, ask yourself, how much time do you spend in the Word of God? If you're going to be transformed, there's only one way to change or renew the mind, and that is that God's Spirit is the means of transformation. God takes his word and he, and he uses it in our life. His own word is the instrument his Holy Spirit uses to renew our minds, which in turn he uses to transform our living. You know what? We need to be in the word of God because God's word will transform our lives. It'll change us. It'll make us into the person 
that God wants us to be. How much time do you spend in the Word of God? How much time do you spend allowing God to take you and mold you into the instrument of righteousness that he wants you to be? Don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul repeatedly emphasized this in all of his writings. He emphasized, you know, taking our mind and saturating it with the word of God, being controlled by the word of God, so that when somebody tells you something, you'll immediately recognize that it's in opposition to God's will. When somebody tells you something about divorce or about drinking or about, you know, sex outside of marriage or about, you know, racism or culturalism or, or all of those things, when, when you hear about gambling or when somebody just brings something up, that your, word, that your mind is so filled with the word of God that you instantaneously know that what you're being told is wrong. You know, how many of us are at that point where when we hear something that's wrong, we go, wait a minute, that's not God's voice. That's this world system, and it's not of God, and it's not right. See, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We should read, meditate, memorize, make the word of God part of our inner man so that our actions will reflect our minds. You know, the Bible says that out of, out of, uh, out of our heart flows everything. We are, what we, we, you know, we are who we are in our hearts. So when, when, you know, when people see our actions, they're seeing our hearts. Do they see your heart? The last thing that must be given to God is our will. You know, that we would just surrender our will, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He goes, that you may prove what the will of God is, good and acceptable and perfect. An implied fourth element of total dedication to God is that of giving our will to him. That you may prove is a purpose statement. You know, what's the purpose of all of this? That we can prove what God's will is. That is to say, when a believer's mind's transformed, his thinking ability, moral reasoning, spiritual understanding, you know, are able to properly assess everything and accept what conforms to the will of God. The word acceptable uh, means that Paul begin, again borrows from the Old Testament sacrificial language. It means that this is an offering that is pleasing to God. There were those who came to him and made offerings, and God says, you know what, I don't accept your offering. We think of Cain and Abel. And there was a reason for it, because the heart wasn't right before God. And he's saying that, you know, I accept one and I don't accept the other. And as we look at this, how can we have a genuine servant's mind? How can we think like a genuine servant? And that is that our minds must be transformed by the, will of God, uh, transformed by the word of God. Our will must be given to him. And as we go down through this, he says that, you know, that we will prove what is acceptable and perfect. You know, God's ways are perfect, and we need to recognize that they are. We need to accept them as perfect, and we need to have, you know, the, the surrendering of our will. And the question is, for you and for me, as we close and put this all together, are, are basically fourfold, and that is this. Have you given your soul to God? Have you come to the point where you've repented 
and uh, you've asked God's forgiveness for your sin? Have you come to trust in Christ as your Savior? Are you born again? If so, have you given your bodies to God? Are you still hanging out with the wrong people? Are you still doing the wrong things? Are you still going to the wrong places? He says, you know what? Make sure that you, you, know, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Have you given your mind to God? You know, have you, have you taken every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? And finally, have you surrendered your will? You know, as we look at this, I would challenge you and urge you to commit to memory what we've just learned this morning. And that is that I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You know, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to be together. We thank you for your word, the transforming power of the word of God. And we just thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. And we just praise you for that. And we just ask your forgiveness. And we, and we, and we accept that forgiveness which you've given us in Christ. So Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity for all of us to be here. It's a gift from God so that none of us could boast. And we just praise you in Jesus' name, amen.